0: Welcome back to Brentwood Stories.
1: Thank you for having me on your podcast. My name is Christopher Judge, and I'm director of visitor services and marketing here at Raynham Hall Museum, located in historic and beautiful Oyster Bay up on the North Shore or what we call around here the Gold Coast. (laughs) And I'm in charge of uh, booking tours. Um, Our... Director of Education and Public Programs, uh, Justine Lake Jednazak. She is on maternity leave right now, so I'm standing in and helping also book school tours, but uh, I'm also one of the tour guides here, so I can offer tours. I work mostly middle of the week, and then we have a full complement of tour guides that uh, offer tours on the weekends as well.
2: Visitor services. so you're pretty much just in charge of the experience, I would say, to generalize.
1: Yeah, I'm the first face that you see when you come to the museum. So my desk is located right in the museum shop. Uh, When guests come in the front door of the visitor center and museum shop at 30 West Main Street, I usually am the one to greet them. Then guests get to uh, look around the visitor center, which is a beautiful new building that was opened in June of 2021. So it really hasn't been open that long, and people are are surprised if they visited Branham Hall, uh, say, in elementary school. They say, wow, everything's so different here, and it really is. We've done a beautiful job in the visitor center. It gives people a chance to understand the history before going into the historic house, rather than just looking around at objects. We have a a lot of text on the walls, but whether people are taking a guided or a self-guided tour, there's always lots of information to, to learn about Long Island's history, Oyster Bay's history, and also we try to encourage people to think critically about how uh, what they're learning at the museum ties into their life today, how the world has been shaped by Long Island's and the, the history of the Revolutionary War and also of slavery here on Long Island.
0: Why don't you give us a little walkthrough of what someone can expect from a tour of the museum? Yeah, sure. So in way
1: back in 1740, we had the 23-year-old Samuel Townsend, he purchased the property that's now known as Raynham Hall. Uh, He moved from his father's farm in nearby Jericho, and his move to Oyster Bay allowed him easier access to the waterfront and benefited his growing shipping business, which was co-owned with his brother, Jacob, who moved in next door on West Main Street here in Oyster Bay. Now, Samuel's property consisted originally of a four-room frame house, two rooms downstairs and two upstairs on a, a sizable plot of land with an apple orchard right across the street. Unfortunately, those apples no longer exist, but also hundreds of acres of, of nearby pasture and woodlands for his livestock and a meadow leading down to the harbor where he and Jacob kept their ships. So if you think of, of these idyllic settings You always think, oh, I've got to go far away to Europe or someplace, you know, the middle of the country to experience this farmland. Well, we had that right here on Long Island uh, back in the 18th century. But soon enough, Samuel had uh, enlarged the house to eight rooms by building a lean-to on the north side of the house, creating what we call a salt box style house. And the property then known simply as the homestead would have been a center of activity during the years leading up to the Revolutionary War, And it was home to Samuel, his wife Sarah Stoddard Townsend, their eight children, and up to 20 enslaved people. And by 1769, Samuel and his brother Jacob, they owned five ships, which sailed to Europe, Central America, and the West Indies. And they traded in in an impressive range of goods, including, most importantly, logwood, which was and continues today to be a crucial ingredient in uh, the dyeing of textiles, also tea, lumber, molasses, sugar, porcelain, wine, uh, rum. So in addition to the shipping business, Samuel operated a general store, providing local access to really a wide variety of imported goods. He was also an active member of local and state government um, as Oyster Bay's Justice of the Peace and town clerk a member of the New York Provincial Congress from 1774 to 1777. And then after the revolution, he was a New York state senator from 1786 to 1790. Although most of uh, Oyster Bay sided with the British during the American Revolution, Samuel's sympathies were with the Patriots, despite the far greater risks, those sympathies posed to his position, his family and his fortune. So following the Patriot defeat in 1776 at the Battle of Long Island, also known as the Battle of Brooklyn, British forces occupied all of New York City and Long Island, often brutally. Uh, Many people in the area who caused problems for British authorities were confined to prison ships on which more than 12,000 people would die. Of illness or starvation by the end of the war in 1783, this was at a time when Manhattan's entire population was only around 20,000. So the Townsend family, unlike many patriots who fled to places like Connecticut, they decided to stay in their home throughout the entire occupation. So these are the kinds of things that that patrons start to learn about. Um, they learn about uh, typical wealth of New York families and how that involved. Uh, slavery the enslavement of other people we talk about the declaration of independence and how because of samuel's um, involvement with the new york provincial congress how he signed the new york version of the declaration of independence and then because of that they immediately went to his house they knew where where he was and they came to arrest him they were going to throw him on one of those prison ships and luckily for him you I won't give all the details away, but you, you come and you find out how he made his way out and then what happened after that. Um, we we talk a lot about spies at Branham Hall Museum. The third oldest son, Robert Townsend, had reluctantly at first, but accepted to join George Washington's intelligence network in 1779. Um, at the time, Robert operated a Manhattan-based merchant shipping firm, just like his dad. So using his work as a merchant as a cover, Robert could move about coffee houses, social events, shops, and the docks of Manhattan, eavesdropping and observing British troop movements without arousing suspicion. And he took on the codename Culper Jr. People who are listening to this podcast, if you've if you've also visited Setauket area and taken a tour with the Three Village Historical Society, they are extremely excited about the story of spies and for good reason because it it helped us win the American Revolution. Washington always was able to stay a step ahead of British troops. So you walk into a colonial designed house and then once you walk through a certain doorway you're transported into the Victorian era because in 1851 Solomon Townsend II who was grandson of Samuel and Sarah he purchased the Townsend homestead and its property back from an uncle who had married into the family he then remodeled and enlarged the Colonial salt box in a fashionable Gothic Revival style and bringing the number of rooms from 8 to 22. so the addition of a large rear wing and a tower it doubled the size of the house and transformed it into this really elegant Victorian villa, people are amazed when the the house just keeps going back and back and back. They're like, "How? When does this house end?" <laughs> but um, disregarding uh, his grandfather's patriot allegiances, he renamed it Raynham Hall after the home of the Townsends in Norfolk, England, of whom perhaps the most prominent member was Charles Townsend, author of the townsend acts which played a large part in sparking the revolution in the first place. Yeah. So it's it's amazing how you know the different generations they they think of you know we all think of history oh it's like oh it's not going to affect anything. Well looking back it's you know we we still look at it kind of with humor but you know it's very interesting. Then initially, Raynham Hall served as a summer residence for Solomon and his family in the Victorian time period, with Solomon probably commuting to New York City during the week while his wife, Helene Decay Townsend, and their children lived in Oyster Bay. And by 1861, the, the family had made Raynham Hall their permanent residence. And like his father and grandfather, Solomon was also a prosperous merchant and importer. But by 1860, he was one of the wealthiest and most respected men in Oyster Bay. So it has a fascinating history. There's so much to explore here, and there's so much more to to uncover when you visit here.
0: I love it. So let's move on to what does your collection development and curation process look like at your museum? So like where you would have procured some of your materials and how they made their way into the Random Hall Museum.
1: Yeah, so we have... Robert Townsend's account books. Now we do have a director or a, a manager of our collections, which we have almost 7,000 items in our entire collection. But we have obtained Robert Townsend's account books from, and they, these items can come from anywhere from an auction uh, to other museums or libraries that give them to a, on what's called a, a permanent loan, so that we can hold on to them and display them. We have Oyster Bay account books, which demonstrate what other merchants in the time period were buying and selling also transfer of property we have collections of uh, about our architecture and we have a lot of the items on display not only in our visitor center or what we call our, our education annex but we do have some items out in the garden namely that was actually sold to the daughters of the american revolution in the early 1900s by a scam artist essentially who was purporting that these giant iron chain links were part of the original great chain that blocked British warships from coming up the Hudson River. Well, these chain links, they are on display at uh, West Point Fort. You can see the originals there, but the ones that were sold to the daughters of the American Revolution here in Oyster Bay were not genuine, Uh, but we still keep them on, on display. And other items from the, the 1900s to the present day might be either donated. It's pretty rare that we go to auction to purchase things. But one of the items that we did purchase it from a Swan Galleries in New York City in 2004 was a family Bible that, that typically family Bibles were used to document the history of the family. White families, it was it was very easy to document those. But this particular family Bible encompassed the names and birth and and sometimes death dates of the enslaved. And that's the only way that we ever found out of, about the history of the enslaved people that were here on the property. We had suspected that the Townsends owned enslaved people, that they were enslavers themselves. But this uh, kind of enabled us to look much more deeply into the family relationships, the friendships. Of the enslaved people, and be able to portray that much more accurately and much more respectfully, and help be able to bring those people back to life in a, in a way. So there's multiple ways that we obtain our items. We have one spinning wheel that was donated just last year to us by a wood turner from the the 18th century. He had his little shop right down the street here from the museum. So we never never quite know when we're going to come across. Uh, an item where somebody's going to call us up and say, I have something that will be of special interest to you. Uh, we did also obtain or uh, recently a portrait of a man named Robert Townsend Jr. Now, this man was probably the illegitimate son of one of Robert's brothers, William, who was kind of a he was he was a troublesome young man, and he probably got a, a, a one young woman who he met pregnant, and then he abandoned her. But Robert, uh, being a good older brother, vowed to take care of that child financially. And the mother named her child Robert Townsend Jr. after him. And we just uh, obtained a portrait of that man just last year. So it's, it's always fascinating to see when and where these
0: items are going to pop up. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting to, like, get some new stuff in. Yeah. Never know when you're going to get it, too. Right. I did, actually, actually,
2: if you so obviously this family was very influential in the town of Oyster Bay, but I'm sure there was many influential families just in general um, in Oyster Bay. So what is it specifically about this family or this house that they decided to make a museum out of it?
1: Well, it was in 1930s that a local historian by the name of Morton Pennypacker, he hired a handwriting analyst to prove the true identity of Culper Jr. in the spy network. So Robert Townsend, who we now know that served as a spy and served his country well and at great risk to himself and his family, um, though he moved back to Random Hall following his father's death in 1790, he kept his involvement in the Culper spying a total secret from his family and friends for the remainder of his life. So Robert's involvement in the Culper spying was not uncovered until the 1930s, when that historian, Penny Packer, used a handwriting analyst to, to prove his real identity. And it was soon after that, that the daughters of the American Revolution, who owned the house at the time, they were trying to run the house as a, basically a tea house, which historically, tea houses were were known meeting places for women who were advocating for their, for, in the late eighteen hundreds, for their their right to vote. But unfortunately, this business wasn't very successful. They sold the entire property to the town of Oyster Bay for one dollar, and the town of Oyster Bay said, "Well, now that we know that Robert Townsend was Culper Jr. in the spy network, essentially the first link." In the chain of all of the spies that operated here on Long Island and up into Connecticut, is that we've got to turn this into a museum. And we now have this essentially what is a a national treasure and a national story that really deserves to be
0: heard. Yeah, definitely. It sounds very interesting. I definitely got to visit at some point. (laughs) Um, We'd love to have you. So, what type of events do you normally hold at the museum?
1: Oh, we hold many events throughout the year, some upcoming events. Or actually, we have reinvigorated some historic spirits tours. So I give the the factual history aspect on a tour on a Friday night. We're planning on doing one each month this year, the fourth Friday. And then I have a friend of ours, Samantha DiFranzo. And she comes in and she speaks on behalf of the family members whose energetic memories or ghosts as some people like to call them i think more more prominently she interprets any messages that she would that the family would like to share with us and we've had some very interesting experiences especially when we get people who uh, tend to be more on the the sensitive side then it's almost like this combined forces of or energies that uh, come together and enable us to uh really gain interesting insight into what life was like for the family. Now, of course, it's all conjecture. We have some of the things, we have no verifiable verifiable proof, but certainly um, the information that Sam is able to come up with uh, is typical, and she is not a historian herself, but uh, some of the information has really added to my understanding of what life may have been like for the Townsends. In February, we have an event coming up for Black History Month, with a group called Gospora, and they're a, a gospel group. That group is led by June E. Towns, and her group Gospora, they're going to be performing songs that brought us through, um, all about Negro spirituals uh, during the civil rights movement of the 1960s and beyond. And that'll be a, oh, it's a short concert, only 50 minutes, and then there'll be a reception following that. And then we have a, an annual benefit. It used to be a Valentine's Day event. Now it's being planned for May time period. COVID certainly affected things going on that way. In the summertime, we we typically throw a, a free to the public uh, event for either Memorial Day or Fourth of July. And I think this year we'll be combining those two events. And then in the fall, we offer an event we used to call Colonial Day, and we are now renamed it to be the Revolutionary Revel to focus on what life was like. We have reenactors and skills, uh, people with, uh, showing how certain skills like paper making, metal smithing, weaving, sewing, how those kinds of things are, are done. And uh, families love to, especially kids love to come
0: see that in, and get to experience things firsthand. Okay, nice. and that's great. With the different events you have throughout the year, what would you say is like your busiest one? I would say that the free events, the Revolutionary Rebel um,
1: pre-COVID would bring in a few hundred people. And of course, COVID did uh, cut back on, on those numbers, but we're seeing a, a reuptake of, of participation in, in that event. And certainly any way that we can help promote the event, we did a, local, a Long Island radio station helped us put out a, a free news release uh, about that event. So I think that helped us uh, boost numbers again last year. But
0: typically, the free events bring us in a a few hundred people for the day. What are your personal favorite facts or events from the museum?
1: Well, I certainly like learning about uh, Robert Townsend and the Culper Spy Network. There are still hundreds of letters that I have not read that were written originally in invisible ink. Then were transferred to George Washington, who would apply another liquid and uh, a reagent, as it was called, and the text of that secret message would reappear for him. So there was the hundreds of, of these letters written, and we have them all transcribed in, in binders in easy to read text. I still haven't gotten a chance to read all of them, and uh, some things like that are, are fascinating. I loved invisible or disappearing ink pens as a kid. We have a smart board that's an interactive feature of our visitor center that you can see an entire timeline of how the spies operated throughout the entire Revolutionary War uh, for all seven years that the war lasted. And then we have books that we sell in the museum shop. One book in particular is by author Bill Blyer, who used to be a writer for Newsday. And he talks about uh, all locations in his book that you can go visit that were that were prominent on, here on Long Island during the American Revolution and one of those certainly is Oyster Bay, and the other being Setauket. That you can go explore to to find out more about
0: the the Culper Spy Network. So mm-hmm. I guess being a spy, eavesdropping, those kinds of things are those <laughs> seem yeah. to be my favorite things. I'm very interested in that invisible ink. How would you say it differs from like stuff we would use nowadays? I know a lot of people use lemon juice for invisible ink. So what did they yeah. use then?
1: Yeah. So it was, we still actually do not know the chemical composition of the liquid that was used, invented by John Jay's brother, Sir James Jay. But they would also use this elaborate numeric code. But this is how the spies supplied Washington with critical information about New York City and Long Island. And in one of his letters, John Jay wrote that you can find the ingredients in any local hospital. But to this day, scientists and experts have not been able to determine what chemicals exactly were used by the Culper spy ring. So they kept it a really good secret. That is really
0: interesting. Amazing.
2: So why do you think it's important for patrons, people to come visit the museum today? Why is it important to learn about the history?
1: So we're doing what what is possible to keep... Uh, knowledge that we teach current. One of the ways that we do that is through an augmented reality technology. So you can come to the museum and uh, interact with physical objects that are here, like paintings that come to life through through an app called 1776AR. So seeing what happens at Raynham Hall has encouraged me to visit other museums here on Long Island. It was actually just out at the, uh, the Longwood Estate Park over the weekend. I've been to Fort St. George down in Mastic or, or Shirley area. And it's helped me understand, put a better perspective of what life, what my part or, or what my role in our country is today. I can watch the news and better understand when I see the difference between um, back in the Revolutionary War time or thereafter when when they formed the government, they they called them Federalists and Anti-Federalists, people who wanted a, a United Nation, and the other group who wanted more of states' rights. So I can better understand that kind of argument is still going on today and have a sense of respect about people who may have differing political views than mine. It helps me be more mature about my understanding of not only national history, but also global history. You know, it helps me appreciate like I said, just just people of, of differing backgrounds, and to look at more with a accepting eye. I guess if you've traveled to Europe, they have such a longer history than we do, and the people have a certain maturity about their their culture. Um, where America, in, in essence, we're still teenagers on on the global scale, and we're still learning what it means to be an American. And you know, the people who today would would call themselves patriots that can be, you know, a contentious thing, but when we when we understand what it meant for the original patriots of our country, what they were fighting for and why they actually decided to to go to war against the strongest force in the world. It's a little different than how we view patriotism today, I think, but it does learning these history you know all these historical stories and what life was like for people in in the 18th century and, and the 19th century too but especially the 18th century it really puts things into a a more a, a better perspective that you can start to look at it from a a less overly emotional way and you can start to see oh what what do i have in common with my neighbors rather than what is different.
0: So you had brought up augmented reality, which is something that I personally develop here at the library. I do augmented reality bookmarks and stuff like that. Fantastic,
1: Um, wow.
0: Yeah, so every month I try to put out at least a couple of augmented reality bookmarks that involve like different history and stuff like that. So I'd like to know a little bit more about like your AR experience at your museum. The opportunity
1: for us to use AR Technology came to us through a generous grant from the Robert David Lyon Gardner Foundation. You might have heard of Gardner's Island. They're of the same family. But this, it's its really an innovative, interactive experience. And the app is called 1776AR, which is a free download. It was developed by a company based out of the state of Washington called 360XR, and the grant allowed us, and the grant has actually been applied to many other historic locations around Long Island, but the AR app really places you in the, the center of the American Revolution. It uses technology to bring history to life, and then guests, you know, can can use their own headphones or, or earbuds. We can supply those as well. But uh, it's really, basically, you're taking images and masking them over physical reality And I explained it to our guests that it's a lighter way to understand the the history that we teach here. It's certainly a fun way to, you know, be interactive with the physical objects around you. I mean, I, I know I loved when it first came out, I loved playing the game you go uh, seek the little the, the furry monsters out oh, oh
0: pokemon go pokemon yeah yeah there we go <laughs> yeah i actually had an
1: idea once of establishing our the garden in between our two buildings as a pokemon go battle center but i thought uh, do we do we really want you know hundreds of kids yeah you know trampling trampling our our lawn it might be fun for you know maybe a weekend thing
0: an but event, maybe. all the time <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: But yeah, no, I love um the interactivity that augmented reality brings and it lets you really explore at your own leisure of things and be able to see things in a different way.
1: You're seeing people, you know, that we tell about talk normally talk about in our tours, you're seeing them as if they were, you know, there in the room with you or or paintings that come to life, or George Washington appears above one of our dioramas and, and tells the story about Oyster Bay. And it's really, really a lot of fun it is
2: speaking of so while you're describing you know the history and everything i am a very big um musical theater nerd and Mm -hmm. i am envisioning the hamilton musical so i was just wondering do people ask you a lot about that because it is the same time period and he was very involved in the revolutionary war
1: they do at times and we actually have a letter that was originally written by george washington and transcribed by alexander hamilton probably the most valuable item in our entire collection of almost 7000 items was that original handwriting by Hamilton while i haven't heard all the music i haven't seen the show but certainly we get it to you know we i, I ask a lot of the young young people that visit the museum and i say are you familiar with hamilton of course and uh, and they get all excited about being able to see a letter you know with hamilton's uh, beautiful beautiful handwriting he did not use a ruler to to write to create lines on his page, but he had such uh, perfect handwriting. It's amazing. You should come and see
0: it. Yeah, and he himself was a Federalist too, right?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, yes.
2: Okay, so the library does. That's why we want to interview all the museums. We have the museum pass program. So for your museum specifically, if someone borrows the pass, it is good for two adults or two children. We only have one pass, so, you know, people take turns. But if someone does not want to wait for the pass, they want to come today, how can they come visit the museum?
1: Yeah, so they can visit our website and pre-book tour. It's www.RainhamHallMuseum.org. Raynham is spelled R-A-Y-N as in Nancy, H-A-M as in Mary Hall, H-A-double-L. Museum.org. And tickets uh, for the general public for adults are $15. Students, whether they're grade school students or college students, if they show an ID, they can get in for a discounted price of $10. Seniors 65 and over also get $10 admission. And nicely enough, we offer free admission at all times for anybody who served in the military, as well as if, if you have a child five years old or younger, they also get free admission. And we we make sure that there's plenty of activities for to keep the little ones occupied. Um, <laughs> in warmer weather, we can pull out some of our lawn games, and so that they can play while you know while mom and dad they learn some history.
2: Very nice. And what hours are you guys typically open?
1: We're open every day of the week except for Mondays. So it's helpful for your patrons to know that on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, we offer the self guided tours every hour from one to four o'clock. And this tour lasts approximately 45 minutes. and includes the exhibition hall uh, and the historic house. Uh, so that's using that AR technology. And then on Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays, we offer guided tours uh, at one o'clock and at three o'clock. And these tours uh, last approximately 90 minutes. And guests on both tours get to explore the Townsend home, discover the lives of the Townsend family and those they enslaved, and learn about the Revolutionary War and the Culper spy But on the guided tours a museum educator guides you through the historic home detailing daily life in the 18th and 19th centuries it's good to note that the museum pass that you guys offer also includes a 10 percent discount in our
0: museum shop oh that's amazing yeah i actually didn't didn't know
2: that
0: Yeah. yeah uh actually in terms of augmented reality too i'm in the process of adding little qr codes on the back of each of our museum passes that include directions the website, and eventually a link to each of the podcasts about each of the museums. That's fantastic. That's that's really amazing.
2: Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking to us.
1: Okay, well, it's been my pleasure to be on, on your show with you. And I hope that more libraries uh, try something like this out. It would be my honor to help promote Random Hall Museum. Thank Absolutely. You. Thank you so
2: much. Thank you. Are you interested in being interviewed on Brentwood stories? Email adult programs at brentwoodnylibrary.org for a chance to be featured on the podcast. That's adult programs at brentwoodnylibrary.org.